Welcome to Alphabet Soup, a podcast where we're going to work our way through a wide variety of biblical topics using the alphabet. Our goal, of course, is to understand the Bible better, but we also want to find ways in which Scripture applies to our daily lives. So with that intro, let's get to it. R is for the book of Revelation. When we did I, we talked about inspiration and inerrancy and illiteracy, and we started those three I's with a look at the topic of revelation, the communication of truth from God to man, of things man could not know through his five senses. Here, we're not going to do that. We're talking about the book of Revelation. And just to show that my sense of foolishness knows no bounds, I'm going to spend this episode, two 24-minute sessions, plus or minus, telling you everything you need to know to fully understand the book of Revelation and be able to read it from one end to the other with no questions whatsoever. Nah, not even I'm that dumb. All I hope to do is to give you an overview of some of the features of the book and some of the things that are important to understand before you start reading. You're never going to, we're never going to understand on this side of eternity, I'm convinced, never going to grasp all that is in the book of Revelation. But we can set down some parameters for understanding the book, how we read it, what we do with it, and what we must not do with it. That's the goal of R is for Revelation. We're going to start by discussing some of what are called the basic introductory matters. Bible introduction is a field of biblical studies, a subset within biblical studies, that looks at the who, what, when, where, how, and why of a book. Who wrote it? Um, To whom did they write it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? That's called biblical introduction. And for the most part, it's fairly easy with the book of Revelation. It was written by John the Apostle, John, one of the twelve. It says so in verse 1. He made it known, that is the things that must take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then in verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, there are, there have been over the last hundred years or so, liberal scholars who say, yeah, but that's not John the Apostle. They've got absolutely no basis for saying that. All the church fathers agree that this was written by John the Apostle. There are strong similarities between the vocabulary and style of the book of Revelation and the gospel of John, and in fact, the three epistles of John. We'll discuss that a little more when we get to the content, because When I say there are similarities in style, that's the most that we can say is similarities. But again, the content is so different. This is Revelation. This is Apocalypse. More on that in a few minutes. It is written, as we just saw, to the seven churches. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Um, And then again, down in verse 10, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And then he lists them. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then, uh, down beginning in chapter 2, a brief message addressed to each of those seven churches. So it's fairly easy to to understand who wrote it and to whom it was written. Date, 
I'm probably mid-90s, 95 or 96, obviously makes it the last book of the New Testament to be written. Um, it, it's the only thing that fits the timeline. Again, all of the early church fathers say it was written in John's advanced years, written in the late 90s. John is the only one of the 12 that didn't die a martyr's death, and there is some hint of that in the ending of his gospel. However, um, we don't have time to go there now. So, written by John to the seven churches of Asia in the mid-90s, 95 or 96. Um, those seven churches, that's kind of interesting. The first one is Ephesus. It would be wonderful if you looked, if you have maps in the back of your Bible, go look at the one that shows Paul's journeys, and you can identify Ephesus. It is on the west coast of what we now call Turkey. It was a port city. <laughs> Interestingly, it's not now because um, there's a river that flows um, what was into Ephesus and then into the Mediterranean Sea. And that river carried with it enough silt so that over two millennia, the city, the ancient, now deserted, city of Ephesus is about a mile away from the Mediterranean Sea. But anyhow, Ephesus was a site of one of the uh, seven wonders of the world. There was a statue, oh, this is terrible, I don't remember, I want to say Artemis, that was so tall that ships could sail between the legs of this statue, one of the seven wonders of the world. And, and if you look on the map and find Ephesus, then you can find the other six of these cities because they are arranged in almost an exact semicircle around Ephesus, inland from Ephesus. And they are listed uh, a couple of times here in Revelation and always listed from north to south. Again, um, verse uh, 10 Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and then going to the north in, a, in an arc, in a semicircle, uh, from north to south. Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I had to memorize those for a test, a college test at some point. I, I'm not sure why we were supposed to memorize those, but we were. And so I made up an acronym, seven churches, ESP as in extrasensory perception, ESP, TSP, as in tablespoon, and then L. Uh, so Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's about all we're going... Those are all, by the way, in Asia Minor, which is what was then, uh, the name then given to what we now call Western Turkey. That's about all we're going to do on matters of introduction. Now let's talk about the content of the book of Revelation and how to understand it. I was approached a couple of weeks ago by a guy at church. His name's Wally. Good guy. Um, he and his wife have been very gracious and hospitable to us. Um, he sails, and they took us out on their sailboat for a beautiful evening last summer. Anyhow, um, Wally is a mature believer. I enjoy his company a lot. And he approached me a couple of weeks ago and asked if I would be interested in teaching a class to him and some of his buddies on the book of Revelation. And I said, yeah, if the details can be worked out. I mean, yeah, if we're not going to have this at 11 o'clock at night. But tentatively, I would say yes. He said, okay, 
um, then I'm going to get busy recruiting some of my friends I think would be interested. My wife thinks I'm an absolute fool because uh, she's pretty convinced I don't need one more side hustle. Um, but it's hard for me to turn down teaching opportunities. It is what it is. There is, always has been, a fascination, uh, all of us, me included, with the book of Revelation. That should be myself included, shouldn't it? There is and always has been, myself included, a fascination with the book of Revelation. It is unlike anything else in the New Testament and describes what we've all wondered about, and that is, what will the future be? However, if there's any book that's going to get somebody into trouble, it's the book of Revelation. I have heard more nonsense peddled in, in a, air quotes, study of Revelation. And here we're going to explain what this means. This is, and man, you can go crazy with this stuff. I'm not going to give you all the clues to understand everything in the book of Revelation because, as we'll see, among other things, I don't think we ever will this side of eternity. But what we can do is lay down some parameters that will keep us out of some, some of the worst trouble and help guide us to get at least a general idea of what's going on in this book. The most important thing to do before we get into the book at all is understand that it falls into a unique genre of literature, of biblical literature. You know that in the Bible there is there are history books, historical narrative. Huh? For example, the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. There is poetry, Hebrew poetry, the book of Psalms, obviously, and Proverbs and uh, Song of Songs, there are bl big blocks of Hebrew poetry elsewhere. Uh, in Exodus 15, the Song of Moses after they'd crossed the Red Sea. So there's narrative, there is poetry. Uh, Proverbs, that's a unique genre, the book of Proverbs. And in order to understand these different books, you need to understand the genre. That's uncommon. Most people, when they read, for example, historical narrative from the Old Testament and even the New Testament, read it like they were reading contemporary historical narrative, and they're very different. The purposes, the goals of ancient historical narrative, very different from the goals of contemporary historical narrative. This book, Revelation, is part of a genre called apocalyptic literature. Okay, the word apocalyptic comes from a Greek word that means revelation. And in fact, in some old Bibles, this if you look at the table of contents, this is called the Apocalypse of John. It is the revelation given to him. So this is apocalyptic literature. That is a genre that existed from roughly 300 BC until AD 200. So 500 years plus or minus. Now, it's not like on a Tuesday in, uh, on February 22nd, God turned off this genre. This it's a little like uh, Westerns, you know, for there was a time, what, 40, 50, 60 years ago, maybe a little longer, when we cranked out uh, Hollywood, cranked out Westerns one after another after another. I, I'm going to guess, I might be all wrong, but I'm going to guess that Westerns were the most common genre of American cinema. 
And now you hardly ever see a Western. And if you do, it's some oddball or, or science fiction Western, that kind of thing. Westerns were a genre of, of movies that started and stopped, virtually stopped. They were made in Hollywood. They were also a big deal in Italy. I don't know how that happened, but hence the term spaghetti westerns. The Italians apparently fell in love with that particular kind, that genre of movie. Well, Revelation is part of a genre of literature called apocalyptic literature that was active from about 300 years, 400 years before Christ until 200 years after Christ. And the beginning and end of, of that genre is soft. It was, it was mushy. It came in and then it faded out. There is apocalyptic literature both inside and outside of the Bible. Inside the Bible, we're talking Daniel and Ezekiel and sections, large sections, within some of the other Old Testament prophets. In the New Testament, it's just the book of Revelation. However, we know uh, from archaeology, there is other Christian apocalyptic literature. Right? There were other early Christian writers who wrote apocalyptic literature. It was not inspired. It did not make it into the canon of Scripture. But that doesn't mean it wasn't there. And we know from um, references to and from fragments of these other apocalyptic works, Christian apocalyptic literature. There was also Jewish apocalyptic literature. Well, hey, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel are Jewish apocalyptic literature. And during the New Testament, after Christ, huh, A.D., there was Jewish apocalyptic literature. It seems to be unique to uh, Judaism and Christianity. Um, what makes something apocalyptic? What puts it within this genre? Uh, primarily, it focuses on the last days. It has as its interest and concern what's going to happen just before the end of time. Now, it's not the same as prophecy. Uh, you can have prophecy that is not apocalyptic literature, but all apocalyptic literature is prophetic because it looks at the last days and what will happen in that period of time. There are some other things that make it uniquely apocalyptic literature as opposed to, for example, prophecy. Apocalyptic literature relies very heavily on symbolism. And those symbols are somewhat standardized. The symbols involved colors and numbers and animals and sometimes the way events are described. Um, I started out by saying colors. The color white in apocalyptic literature almost always represents purity. The color red almost always represents bloodshed. The color black almost always represents evil. Thus, colors are across apocalyptic literature, Jewish and Christian, biblical and extra-biblical. These colors have a standardized, a, a, a normal, regular symbolism. The same is true of numbers. Some numbers, the number three typically refers to God. The number six 
refers to man. The number seven is a number of completion. These are true. Now, it's interesting. You can see this throughout the Bible. Um, there, I don't know if you know the name Bullinger. E.W. Bullinger. His first name was Ethelbert. I forget what his middle name was, but it started with a W, and it wasn't William. But if you had a first name like Ethelbert, you might be inclined to go by your initials too. Ethelbert W. Bullinger. I've got a couple of his books. A brilliant man, a prolific writer on all things biblical and theological. He did a study Bible. Um, He was a dispensationalist, and Earlier in his writings, he was a mid-Acts dispensationalist. Later, he became an Acts 28 dispensationalist. That is, he thought that the body of Christ started at Acts 28. And he wrote, he, he, got, he got pretty nerdy. He wrote some interesting stuff, including a book, which I happen to have on my shelf here, called Numbers in Scripture. It, it's pretty typical of Bullinger to take a good idea and go way too far with it. There's hardly a number mentioned in the Bible that he doesn't assign some symbolic meaning to. However, I don't think you can argue with the fact that three seems to be used over and over and over again in Scripture to refer to God, and that seven is the number of completion, and that 40 is the number of trials and difficulties. Forty days in the wilderness. Forty years, uh, Jesus Christ, Forty years in the wilderness, uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, Forty days and forty nights of rain while, Moses, while Jonah was on the ark. There are standardized num- uh, symbols, numbers used in the book of Revelation that fit this. Um, I don't think it's coincidental that there are seven churches. And then animals, eagle, ox lion, bear, and you will see some of these animals show up in Daniel. Remember we said that's apocalyptic literature and in Revelation because again, these are standardized and any reading of Revelation, the book of, has to understand that it is apocalyptic literature, that it relies heavily on symbolism and that these symbols were standardized within the genre. You can't say that, hey, the bear represents this, and and go off with some wild cockamamie idea, when within the genre, this is what a bear represents, or this is what red represents, or, or, or. Okay? The first step in reading the book of Revelation is to read it as apocalyptic literature. That means that before you start in chapter 1, you should read up on the genre, have some familiarity with these standard symbols. And you can do that fairly simply. There are a number of books that do a good job of describing the genre and some of these standardized symbols. I'll recommend one, and I, and I recommend it with, with sort of my left hand, the fingers of my left hand crossed. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Fee and Stewart. I have mentioned this in a previous podcast. I don't remember which one. I don't agree with some of what Fee and Stewart write. They are uh, charismatics, and so I've got some problems. But boy, it's a good book that, that lays out some basic features 
for reading your Bible. That's a good title, isn't it? How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And they describe the genre of apocalyptic literature. It, it's The book has been out for probably 30, 40 years. It's a paperback. You can pick it up pretty cheaply. And I think you will find that if you read it carefully and through a good Midax dispensational filter, you will find it helpful as you read uh, the different genre in Scripture because that's what they do. They go through each of the genre and describe how they're unique and how they should be read and understood. And I think that will enhance your understanding of the uh, book of Revelation. Okay, after we've taken into account the fact that Revelation is part of a very particular genre and needs to be read in light of the features of that genre of literature, we're still not ready to go to the book. There's something else we have to do before we start chapter one, and that is understand that we're not going to understand it. Not all of it, at least. It's fun to read in the book of Daniel because we're reading on the other side of the events that Daniel describes with all of this apocalyptic uh, symbolism. Uh, bears with, uh, with legs lifted on one side and lions and we, we see that, well, of course, those are the empires that he describes using animals the symbolism of animals. But we can only do that because we're looking back at, at the events described in Daniel's apocalyptic prophecy and looking at them through the lens of fulfilled prophecy, through the events that are now history. And we go, well, of course, that's what that means. We are on the backside of the book of Revelation. And try as we might, I don't think we're ever going to wrap our heads around all of the things that are in this book until we're in glory. And we can look back and say, oh, that's what that was. Well, of course. How come I didn't see that? We didn't see that because we're on this side of it. And so beware of the person that says, I can explain every detail in the book of Revelation. You kind of have to let your mind let go a little bit. Don't try so hard to understand everything. And if you come across something, and even after taking in, into account the features of apocalyptic literature, you look at that and you say, man, what in the world is that? You don't have to figure it out. And trying too hard to figure everything out can get you into real trouble. I read, and it might again have been in Fee and Stewart, I read somewhere uh, about parables. Don't try to make a parable walk on all fours. And that is a metaphor that says, don't try to make every detail of a parable mean something. A parable is designed, the genre of parable literature is designed to teach a spiritual truth in very basic easily understood terms. And sometimes there are details in the parable that are just there to make it m more vivid, uh, more relatable. And so don't try to make a parable walk on all fours. Don't make every detail of the parable have some spiritual significance. I'm convinced the same is true of the book of Revelation. And people that try to make every single detail a symbol of something are going to get themselves into trouble. Let go, okay? Read the book for the broad brush strokes of apocalyptic literature. Now, when we get on the other side of this, when we're having a Bible study in heaven, um, we're going to look back and say, well, of course, I didn't see that then. Couldn't understand that then. Now I see. And that will be fun. But let's stay out of trouble now 
and read the book with a loose grasp and try to get a sense of the general picture that the book is presenting to us. We're going to stop now and and get into the text a little bit, not a lot, but get into the text of the book in part two. So I hope you'll join me on the other side.